in this the closing talk of our days here together, I would like to speak about some features of the daily life, and in fact, beginning from the very point of leaving here to wherever you may be going. Of course, during the time of the days here, there has been uh, probably plenty of uh, uh, inner movement, though the outer movement has been somewhat uh, minimal. And of course, and in being here as well, of course, thoughts not only have arisen about one's um, own life and direction and values and uh, the priorities in one's life but also about people that you know, people who are uh, close to you. And it's one of the peculiarities of uh, life. We often seem to think we know other people better than they know themselves. And so some thoughts arise about some of the people that you know, and one has to be very watchful of um, going home armed with the um, with self-knowledge, or rather other knowledge, and no sooner do you walk through the front door, than the, the kind of the bullets will be flying about things that your partner, your friend, your mother, your employer, your children, whoever, need to know about themselves, and they, <laughs> as if they didn't know already. And returning to uh, home uh, life or wherever you may may be going, that uh, kindness and wisdom, uh, tolerance and accommodation are uh, invaluable themes. And certainly when there are times when we wish to relate something to uh, somebody else, the uh, Buddha has used a rather valuable um, um, reminder with regard to that and he said there are four things to bear in mind right person right place right time and right subject what's the appropriate person appropriate time appropriate place and appropriate subject and telling somebody the truth of their life as they're getting into bed is not necessarily the right place nor time so again, in, in that it requires some awareness and consideration of uh, others, particularly in communicating with them that there is a level of uh, trust and friendship and that one actually, uh, in any kind of dialogue which really matters to you, that you can really can sense and pick up from the other person that he or she has the interest has the motivation. And the motivation is the key uh, element in this. And that applies to a person who may be in very uh, difficult times, in very deep suffering, to actually wish to change, to come out of a situation, um, does require motivation, intention on their part. The traditional analogy which is used is of one who is from the Buddha, one who is down the bottom of a deep and dark well, and there may be one or more at the top of that well who 
throws the lifeline down to that person at the foot of the well in order for that person to come out that person has to take hold of the rope in order for there to be cooperation and for a person to come out of his or her difficulty that that is necessary and I think it's a very effective and rather powerful um, metaphor uh, in life and sometimes we can as it were be beating our head against the wall in communication with others if we even if we see quite clearly what might be of useful what might be valuable steps for another human being to take still needs their cooperation still needs their intention their wish to take the rope as we saw from the uh, go around uh, yesterday that uh, quite a number of people are uh, very actively involved in work and in cooperation uh, with other people in a whole variety of uh, fields, spiritual, and psychological, body work, fields of creativity, all fields of communication, uh, in fact. And, and there are many extensions and variations, of course, uh, on that theme. And just as we look for intentions with regard to other people, one essential psychological component in our uh, own life as well is what is the intention. And I do think it's vital to, in the daily life situation, to keep clearly in touch with the intention because there is a tendency in our society with its emphasis on um, privilege and uh, uh, wealth and status that some of the most uh, delightful and uh, invaluable professions have, in a way, become desensitized through the intentions and the desires that people have. And in the helping the fields, there's been a terrible degree, I feel, of uh, corruption. Because the intention to really serve, the intention to be available and present for others, to give, to share knowledge and wisdom and skills, has, uh, for some, taken second place to the status that goes with the work. And that sense of uh, humility uh, has somewhere got lost. And that keep means, in our daily, daily life, really keeping in touch with ourselves as, as much as possible. And also, of course, the measurement in cooperation with others of a... Uh, a good friend, the, 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 in the Buddhist tradition, the definition of a good friend is a person who is willing to speak with us directly. This is the definition of a good friend. It is not the person who is afraid to talk, to speak. It is not a person who flatters, flatters us and keeps having need to boost our ego. It's a person who is willing to uh, speak um, clearly to us, which means expressing appreciation for our uh, uh, qualities, who is willing to uh, share and, and pinpoint things which we need to be aware of and see in ourselves. And those kind of friends are just invaluable friends, because I think it's all too easy for us in the daily life to kind of sometimes ride on a wave of thinking we always know best for ourselves, we're always clear about what we're showing and what we're manifesting and actually 
the contact with like-minded people, the contact with people who endeavour to live with awareness, with clear and effective self-knowledge, with wisdom in life. We need such people and we do need their responses and their resources and their perceptions so that we can pick up things inside ourselves which might be just overlooked or mechanical or habitual. Sometimes we, uh, an example, we might uh, be speaking in such a way which is expressing anxiety, it's a very, very common theme. And when I was speaking at CIMC in Cambridge the other uh, evening, that I said there that the general kind of impression that I get from uh, retreats that the level of anxiety in people's lives over the years, it seems to me that it's one of the difficult feelings and emotions which is on the increase. And I think that's, you know, due not to the fault at all of individuals, but just the way the pressures of society are, the way of information, global information, future information, as well as <coughs> what we witness in the uh, cities and suburbs and uh, uh, places of work and study, etc. That level of anxiety is increasing. <coughs> and so sometimes we might be speaking in a way which it actually is expressing anxiety and then looking for some kind of reassurance that justifies our anxiety. And I think the sign of a good friend is one who can direct us in a way to address the anxiety and to see that the content of the anxiety it is that the content is not the matter, it's the feeling that's giving support to it. All is the part of the mutual awarenesses and uh, acknowledgement of the condition of each other. With regard to the like-minded uh, people, which I um, think is just invaluable, and there are many ways for that to occur. Uh, just uh, recently at Sky House, at our centre in um, England, and somewhat inspired by the, uh, the inquiring mind, where, <coughs> as a number of you will know, in the um, biannual newspaper of the inquiring mind, that there's a full page or more of the various sitting groups around the country and what we have done, we have just prepared a, a flyer for Europe and um, uh, Britain, and I think there are about three, three and a half thousand people on the, the mailing list for that part of the world at Gaia House, and we've invited people to contact us, and we're endeavouring to set up small uh, sitting groups um, in cities, in uh, rural areas, and this way of bringing people uh, together and I would say with regard to that it's <coughs> that things like this, if it's just herbal tea and meditation the sitting group ain't going to last two weeks you know, one or the other will kill the people off <laughs> and and I do do uh, and with me, it would be the boat, in fact. I think the, 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 the herbal tea would be the last straw. <laughs> and, um, and I do, I do think with 
um, small sit, uh, sitting groups, the value of it, of such things are that people meet together, of course, some silence together, can be listening to tape talks, there can be reading some spiritual uh, texts or poetry, and also some um, exploration. And generally speaking, with a small group, it just um, needs, perhaps, if necessary, just one person in the small group who will just keep um, an ear open to the theoreticians, to the uh, the intellectual types who l- love to go off on a tangent and seem to get removed from the actualities of daily life experience and what it means living in, in this world. And I, I find, and probably um, you are the same, that my level of uh, interest does seem to uh, increase, uh, be much more potent when I'm hearing uh, from the standpoint of experience, which everybody here has kept so uh, beautifully too, uh, rather than very vague and metaphysical or abstract ideas, which I um, can't relate to very well. In small groups, there's always plenty, plenty of wisdom in people already, and it's just a matter in such situations of a person or a person or two, just uh, organizing that, finding out who the people are locally, and in that small network. And I do think the spirit of being very open is quite vital. It doesn't mean to say a person has been on a retreat before or meditated. But if one acknowledges there is some intention, interest in the spiritual life and awareness, then it can be a very flowing and open-door situation. And others, of course, meet and contact, and uh, I know some friends have... Uh, met from time to time and in Boston and go out to dinner together and have some discussions together and all those things as well as people meeting who are involved in similar fields all part of the open and expanding network of things to look into the depths of existence and see what the wisdom is there where the awakening is there what is the compassion what it is to be in this world and I think you'll probably agree that if we don't find renewal in some form, somewhat similar to this, and other forms in our local communities, then I think this uh, the tragedy of isolation and all the pain and frustration uh, will continue the nuclear family and, the, and its uh, uh, separation from um, neighbours and local community, I think is a genuine contemporary tragedy and uh, and there are ways for that kind of renewal to uh, take place. Other features of the daily life uh, situation in- include uh, the formal meditation work uh, itself. This does vary though from person to person. So some people have a rather quiet and natural uh, discipline and quite regularly, daily, in fact, or three or four times a week, just sit in the silence of things, in the stillness of things, and it's part of their daily life, daily practice. But, and for others, um, it simply isn't. And quite often, people will come and will say to one of us as teachers, oh, my, you know, 
I started off, I went back home after the retreat and uh, my uh, gradually my practice slipped away, the spiritual work slipped away and often the person is actually referring to one feature, valuable feature, but not vital, but valuable feature called sitting practice. And I think it is a pity to reduce the sense of spiritual awareness and life down to a sitting form. And therefore I say, we're talking about spiritual practice, we're talking about the whole way of being in this world and all that goes with it from the inner to the outer and the outer to the inner. And it's a full day, which is where spiritual practice, if it includes formal, regular sitting practice, fine. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. But it doesn't in any way detract from a full spiritual life. Other features of the of the uh, the, the daily uh, life um, certainly uh, include uh, read reading, or at least for some uh, people and some of us. And I'm one of those who uh, love love uh, re- reading. And in uh, that the period, what what we read again matters. And so how very easily I think with the daily newspapers, particularly in those awful magazines like Time and Newsweek, that in um, um, re- reading those, of course, it is useful to be uh, informed in the in the uh, reading. But please, please always remember that what one reads in these magazines really is the voice of the establishment. And the voice of the establishment, uh, again and again, I think is extremely questionable. Questionable. That One of the myths is that there is such a thing as objective news. There's no such thing as objective news. I'm speaking here as a former reporter and ju- journalist and covering international situations. This is all lifetimes ago, thank God. And, and in that there's inbuilt prejudice in whatever, whatever is said. And the leanings is always in, a, so often anyway, nearly always towards the voices of the establishment. And I do think in looking in, into things, many things in, the, in spiritual life don't uh, fit in uh, with some contemporary values. I don't think, as an, as an example of what I mean, that what we explore here and, and capitalism is at all compatible with each other as a general statement. It seems to me that we live in a society of acute uh, individualism, of the pursuit of self, that the accumulation for self is the central priority of life. And I think that capitalistic thought that we have in our society tends to reinforce that. I speak equally against the other extreme, of course, of, of control and statism, which Eastern Europe has mercifully has dumped as well. And I think we need in our society, socially, politically, spiritually, economically, as dramatic a revolution as, and as dramatic a change as what we have seen in, the, uh, in Eastern Europe and the and the revolution, some of it, a fair bit of it non-violent, I must say, um, between 1989 and 1990. And never to 
underestimate the potency and the capacity for uh, radical change in which the sense of local community, sharing together um, awareness and, and, and uh, depths of uh, commitment in which oneself and the world that we live in matter equally. Matter equally. And that itself is an incredibly radical statement to uh, make. And the whole structure of things, I think, has to undergo a fundamental um, shift and change. And some of us in our meetings and uh, workshops and attending of conferences and writing are um, trying to fi- find ways, basically, to uh, bring the system to the point of collapse. Nothing left than the death. So, so that the poor and the dispossessed, and the, un- and the unwanted, and, and the forests, and the sky, and the earth, and the water, and the land, and the creatures, and the peoples of the, of the earth, that our heart can't forget them. And the way that we forget them is through the acceleration of ego. That is the way we forget. Highlighting of I and my above all else. And that's why spirituality and radical investigation, radical freedom, and I feel right across the board into everything. Radical way of living. In the daily life situation, um, there are a few um, aspects in terms of our inner to the outer. And just as earlier I said with regard to motivations and intentions are important. And another to is the, uh, the attitude of mind towards things. And I think particularly this learning attitude, many times on uh, retreats and at the end of retreats I've spoken of the importance of learning. This itself, remember, is a shift away conventional learning, which is so often the cramming of uh, information uh, into the brain and the dreadful in education, the awful imbalance that it generates for a human being when, as someone said on this retreat to me, that prior to arriving here, uh, he was taking uh, various examinations and could barely get in three hours, three or four hours of sleep a night um, simply because of the burden of having to study and get as many concepts into the mind as possible. What for? Just to regurgitate them out. What an exercise in life, I can't imagine. And... I do think in situations like this, it, it puts an, un, an awful burden on adults, but especially on uh, young um, people who feel the competitiveness, who feel the pressure, who have the anxiety about if they're even going to get a job, if they're going to get into a certain college. And all of that pressure is at terrible expense to their feeling life and their emotional life, to their creativity and their joy and their and the capacity to celebrate life. And I think all of this really has to be questioned because we are programming people in a fundamentalist way into fitting in to what the state says, what the establishment says is good for us. So I think there are many, many of you in the various, various uh, fields of work and doing invaluable work. Don't be afraid, please, to go out on a limb. 
Don't be afraid to question the status quo. Don't be afraid to question indoctrination, programming, um, rigid uh, secular belief systems, the indoctrination of people, the brutalization of the mind through uh, pressure in whatever way. And sometimes it, one needs tremendously the, the support of other people who, who care. You can say that a, a human being is a whole person and is not just a brain to fit in with the demands, but is a feeling person. And, uh, and I think human beings are deeply caring when there is the opportunity to touch that deeply caring place. And a human being is, is physical, and that means a human being has the right to clean air and fresh water and land that's safe to be in. All, all of those are, are, are rights, and those, those rights are being taken away from us. And I think there's a whole necessity for uh, the living voice of protest in these things. And there's so much skill and knowledge and expertise in this hall at, at this very moment which can contribute to uh, an uh, awakening of this world in, in fresh ways. Not only for ourselves, but for all the creatures and for our children and our grandchildren. Let's so say when we talk about spiritual life, it, 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 it's, it's not ever to be thought of as a navel-gazing gazing exercise. And one of the fine things which is taking place um, here in the West and uh, the Dharma networks uh, in the United States have been particularly uh, valuable uh, in this regard. And, and that is showing that spiritual life really is a very comprehensive uh, view that leaves no stone unturned. And what's been significantly valuable about that is that uh, um, in the East, and more recently when I was um, last year visiting my teachers in Thailand, just to see what's taking place there. And there's been a cross-current taking place, and it's become very active and dynamic, meaning that we went there um, a generation to go to sit at the feet of teachers essentially and learn uh, from them and, and see what the alternatives are and then and have come back to the West. And in coming back to the West and giving teachings and the various groups, we heard of the Buddhist Peace Fellowship yesterday, the International Network of Engaged uh, Buddhists and nu numerous other organizations and activities of application and, and that's having a reciprocal impact now. And there's much more social, environmental, uh, community awareness taking place uh, in um, parts of the Buddhist world where there's an incredible degree of uh, corruption and violence and um, utterly unacceptable uh, uh, so-called Buddhist governments. I'm thinking of Burma here, the, uh, the, the former military government in Thailand, um, and, and Sri Lanka, etc., etc. So again, uh, when when you're engaged in these works and, and practices, never to underestimate the global influence of what you do, the gestures that what you do, the, the, the moves and the, the gossip line, it just extends itself very far and very wide. And I know for myself, in coming uh, here to the states, how uh, insightful and uh, uh, inspirational it is for me coming here and just having conversations and meeting with people and find out 
what they're doing and then they return um, back to uh, your poor cousin in England and, um, and, and relate things which are going on here. It goes back and forth. And all, all, all of that is part of a very expansive and uh, uh, insightful network of activity. All, all, all of this is, belongs to the, the Dharma of the daily life. And the, the, the other, um, finally, if we, I don't like to compartmentalize things in life at all. I spoke about this one day with the work. If we look into uh, life, sometimes the priorities of the life, they of course include uh, work, they include, as I mentioned earlier, community in the wider sense. Um, they include spiritual work, silence, stillness, meditation, uh, reflection, uh, reading, contact with the nature, all of that. And also, very important too, it also in, in include is, includes um, joy and um, delight and celebration and those creative initiatives. And all, and all of that must feed in, the heart must be nourished. And it's unacceptable really that we just be, be, become people who just work very hard and, and make that the priority of our life and struggle along with relationships. It needs to be creative and imaginative ways of life, and the artistic community um, uh, can be a, offer something very invaluable in that uh, area for all of us. I think it's a pity when we spend uh, too much time in life being, as it were, passive witnesses of other people's creativity. And there's a value for that and a usefulness, that, but that shouldn't be overplay, o override our own uh, creativity and our, our own ability to give and to share and to offer something. And it should be an inspiration for us. But these days there's too much concentration on being passive in the world of the arts and leaving artistic life um, in the hands of a few. So again, all, all of these themes are uh, part of the exploration is a tremendous body of literature available yeah, and more important than the literature is actually having contact with people. And the final point I want to make there with that is um, sometime in, uh, over the years I have had the chance to um, meet with um, various uh, people whose work, what I call engaged spirituality, I appreciated very, very much, and I wrote to them, I contacted them, some of them were friends who, from retreat, and I um, put together a number of uh, interviews on these themes. And the point that I, uh, that could be taken indirectly as an advertisement, I disagree, um, but um, more, in fact, more, import more importantly, if there is somebody who you would like to see, who, who, whoever it might be, and um, 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 start, starting from um, presidents all the way down through the line that you feel it would be useful for you to see, to meet with, to have some contact with. Please, please, never, never think that these people are that important. Never project onto them that, oh, they are too busy, 
they're not going to bother to see me or, or whatever. Ne- never let one's um, projection, socialized projection on name and fame be um, an, an influence. Not, not for a moment. It, they're, they're just uh, people, they get up in the morning, their breath smells like the rest of us, and uh, they spend their, their day and they like their roll of toilet paper close at hand. Uh, and uh, one's never be overly um, impressed there. And if one, 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 one has a little bit direct mind with these things, one can find ways to uh, uh, make, the, make the contact. Uh, a very small example, Shadra and I were in Budgaya in, um, in uh, January, and Budgaya is the place of, uh, where the Buddha was said to be enlightened a couple of thousand years ago. And we, as his friends uh, from the retreats, about three years ago we started a small school in the very poorest part of the village of, uh, of Budgaya. And the school, we got some land for, through donation from people on retreats. Now the size of the school has increased to uh, 92 um, children and uh, three uh, teachers, and the, we got the president of uh, Sri Lanka to, uh, on behalf of the Sri Lankan government, to give 90 to school uniforms. I don't normally like school uniforms, but the children felt you know, quite delighted with, with the gift. So the president was in Budgaya. The Sri Lankan government, in the most ludicrous gesture, I think I ever heard, spent one million dollars, that's 24 million rupees, to build a gold cage around the Bodhi tree. This is the poorest, most violent part of India. The day I arrived in the village, someone had been shot. And it's only here, a small, small village. It's, it's not much bigger than Barry. It's a small village. Somebody had been shot in the back of their head. The day, the day before, somebody coming in to bring in some illegal, uh, um, illicit liquor got uh, robbed on the road a kilometre out and, and murdered in the village. And uh, when we, and the day, and so as a result, the village, which I thought was a very interesting statement of protest about violence, the entire village uh, there went on hartle. That means it went on strike in protest against against the murder in the village. The, the whole village closed down. Nothing moved for 24 hours. I thought, thumbs up this one. And uh, sometimes, perhaps, when there is violence in such a way, instead of going on the rampage or complaining about law and order or wh- wh- whatever, that the community says that violence is unacceptable, and it just it, and the whole place closed, closed down. So anyway, a few days later, the president of Sri Lanka. Um, turned turned up and came actually to uh, the, the the village, not to the school. It's where we have our school, but to the village. And the degree of um, of um, um, protection to him was phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. Partly because um, Rajiv Rajiv Gandhi had been murdered a year or two ago, assassinated through the. Uh, a, a Tamil uh, terrorist, and of course there's this war going on in Sri Lanka. So, the, so the security, the police, 
the soldiers and then all the press and everybody had to have a have a card saying who they were um, to identify themselves, etc., etc. And I, I couldn't get hold of a, a white card. But in these situations, you know, the old colonialism still going on. You know, you've got a white skin, you get in. And uh, having a white skin, I thought I'd use it for once. And so I couldn't get near the press. I'm not going too much about this, but I couldn't get near the president because of all these thick posses people there and the military is there and they're very, I mean they were really concerned that there would be an, an attempt on the president's life and suddenly there was a gap and, uh, and I went in that gap like a rocket and, uh, <laughs> I, and I tell you with my hands out I didn't want you know to get, uh, get clobbered by a, a rifle or whatever and, uh, and I st- stopped the president because I wanted to speak to him and, and to tell him that the school where we desperately needed some donation for school and uh, and get him to give support. So uh, he was a bit surprised, and uh, <laughs> so I so I quickly said who I was and what I was doing, and I was the director of the school. Da, 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 da. And the interest there, and expressed appreciation for the uniforms. But could we have more? Blah, 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 blah. Like that. And then the security grabbed me, and and uh, oh, were they mad with me? Oh, God, did they get mad? The, the the chief of the security how do you get there? And I want your name, I want your passport. So anyway, I uh, thought if I um, in in this situation, I um, knew that if I um, got got reactive, um, he would get my passport number, and then I'd be on the old uh, computer at the airport, which never works anyway. And <laughs> <laughs> and have a job getting back got back got back back in. So anyway, so I uh, apologized and, uh, and I said to him, uh, oh, please come over to the monastery, the Thai monastery, and have some, have some um, chai and biscuits with the meditators. And we'd be very, very happy to see you. And, and, and then he kind of cooled out. <laughs> so I just say in situations where one's meeting with, uh, uh, where one feels that something is important, one has a value for something, what I what I have found that um, many people, so-called name and fame, uh, are actually quite uh, receptive and are quite available, and it just needs a little persistence sometimes. And and I think that they can hear a message from us which they simply may not get in the circles that they move in. So I say all all this part of bringing wisdom and compassion into the field of life, into the field of activity, and and one important criteria, criteria for that is that we are not afraid to take steps. That's what it comes to, not afraid. Let's have some loving uh, kindness meditation. Shall we have a few minutes, please?
the sitting being here together. Sharing in the living presence. During the days, some of the pains and difficulties that have arisen, and sometimes thoughts and feelings, negative, resentful, hostile, may have occurred to people that we know, to people here, elsewhere, towards ourselves. And right now, in being caring and conscious, receptive, and with a warm heart and a clear mind, in which there isn't any carrying of any ill will towards anybody on this earth, nor towards ourselves. Kind and warm, present to life and towards all of us here in the hall, to all the staff. Into the environment and the nature all around us. Harmony, natural harmony. And we find ourselves steady and receptive and present to it. I would like to us to direct our loving kindness and concerns to all those people in former Yugoslavia, Muslims, Bosnians, Serbs, and this tragedy. awful conflict between three groups of people who have forgotten they are all human beings, were all born human beings first, and identity came in the second. And identity is mattered more than anything else with all the terrible consequences 
and we know at the present time that governments, Western governments, particularly in Washington, in Moscow, Paris, London, Bonn, debating and arguing and analyzing, trying to make up their minds whether to send in the military, send in the air force, send in the ground troops. And one wonders, how on earth can the increasing and intensification of war be a solution to war? Is it going to be a, another Vietnam in Europe? I think our concerns and wisdom and compassion that need such to find some other ways of conflict resolution. Otherwise the escalation can grow phenomenally. So there are loving kindness in our daily life towards those who are close and near and there are ways to explore, enter into our the way we speak about global situations, not taking sides, not being prejudiced, not giving support militarism and all the ugliness of it. May our mother and father live in peace and harmony. May our brothers and our sisters live in peace and harmony. May our friends and our relatives live in peace and harmony. May all those we have contact with near and far live in peace and harmony. May our voice for wisdom and compassion be heard in this world. May our children and our grandchildren grow into a world which is safe. May our actions contribute 
to the immediate welfare and the long-term welfare of one and all. May there be revitalization and awakening. of one and all. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony. May all beings in all the realms, in all the universes, Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.